The following is a guest devotional given by the Rev. Zach Keel at Westminster Seminary, California. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this audio are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect and are not endorsed by the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. For our devotion this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet, so verses 15 through 19. Uh, Again, Revelation 11, beginning in verse 15. This is God's word. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones fell before God on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we rejoice that in the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ, you have secured for us a blessed and living hope, a great and imperishable inheritance, which you set before our eyes as a grace and a nourishment to us as pilgrims, as we pilgrimage here by faith. Suffering, your, suffering the onslaughts of the evil one, suffering under the curse of for sin. But Lord, we thank you that by your power you keep us for that blessed and heavenly land. And thus we pray that once again you would lift up our, the eyes of our hearts to see where Christ is seated and to look forward to that day with hope and with eagerness. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this point in the semester, it's not too difficult to guess what your hopes and your prayers are for. You're hoping to survive the semester, praying that you will get your papers done and possibly pass your final exams. You're so busy that if you're single, your prayer and hope for a wife even takes a back burner to your papers and your exams. Well, this is our tendency, isn't it? That during busy and stressful times, our minds and our prayers are held captive by the immediate concerns of getting through, of being successful. We become so preoccupied with our everyday tasks and plans that 
at times we give very little reflection to the Lord's Prayer as it reveals to us God's will, which should shape and prioritize our hopes and our prayers, especially in the petition, Thy Kingdom Come. Well, this is one of the beauties and blessings of the book of Revelation, as it places before our hearts the glory of God's kingdom for which we should pray. It pictures for us what we're praying and hoping for in thy kingdom come. Yet it also exhibits for us not just what we're praying for in thy kingdom come, but also why this prayer is worth praying, which lies at the core of who we are in Christ. Now the seventh and last trumpet ushers in the cataclysmic world-ending event of God's own appearing. The Lord Almighty, who is and who was, will come in the seventh trumpet. The thunderous approach of the Almighty shall bring the final destruction to the Antichrist beast and all his worshipers and this age. The kingdom of God and his Christ will come in full perfection of glory, and Christ will reign forever and ever, and God will be all in all. This is what we pray for when we pray that our Heavenly Father's kingdom would come. The crosshairs of our hope target this event while we yet live in this world kingdom, sojourning through the wilderness. Now, most of what is mentioned here in the seventh trumpet, we expect for the final day of the Lord, for that consummate coming of Christ and his kingdom. Though there's one phrase here in particular I want to look at, here in verse 19, a phrase that initially might strike us as odd. The phrase is, the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. The Ark was seen what does this mean? What, what, what's the significance of this? Well, this phrase, again, might at first seem mundane, but it is actually the crowning element of the seventh trumpet. Indeed, it encapsulates in beautiful imagery the key doctrine of, whole, of all of Scripture. For as you remember, the Old Testament tabernacle and temple was an earthly model of that heavenly reality. It represented the cosmos in miniature, especially with the throne of God at the center. And the ark was the most sacred of all the holy furniture of the tabernacle. For the holy of holies was the throne room of God, and the ark was his footstool within where the Lord was enthroned above the cherubim, and it was the place of atonement. The temple then, especially the ark, symbolized God's presence and covenant with his people. It was God's dwelling on earth with his covenant, a symbol of communion and fellowship between God and man purchased by blood. But within the temple... Because the temple was holy due to God's holy presence, the temple had a series of barriers, laws, and curtains to keep out the unholy, sinful man. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies only once a year and only with blood. 
In fact, if you remember, the curtains and walls of the Holy of Holies had on them images of cherubim with flaming swords to God guard access to God. This is what was on the veil and all the walls of the Holy of Holies. Indeed, recalling the cherubim of Genesis 3.24, who barred sinful man from the holy Eden, these cherubim protected the holy place of God, threatening death to all who were unworthy. Therefore, the temple and the tabernacle was closed to the people of God. Only the high priest could enter, and only with blood, to make atonement for the people's sin. Every other Israelite never entered or even saw inside. In fact, in Numbers 4, the Lord legislated to Moses that a particular clan of the Levites had the duty to move the tabernacle and the holy furniture, the Kohathites. They were the ones that carried the ark and other holy vessels when it moved. However, before the Kohathites could move the holy vessels, the high priest and his sons had to cover them. The ark was first covered with the veil, then goat skins, and then a blue cloth. Three layers. As as it says in Numbers 4 verse 20 about the Kohathites, it says, They shall not go in to look on the holy things, even for a moment, lest They die. Even this special class of Levites could not even see the ark. This means if this law was followed, and according to some of the historical books, it probably wasn't at all times. Nevertheless, if this law was followed as it was intended to be, the people of Israel never even saw the ark. Every time it moved, marched around Jericho, was brought to Jerusalem by David, it was covered. It went unseen. And this was a continual reminder and testimony to the distance between a holy God and his sinful people. Sinful man could not even look upon the footstool of God's presence, lest he die. Thus, in the Old Testament, the temple was never to be opened. The Ark of the Covenant was never to be seen. Only the eyes of the high priest received a glimpse once a year when he came with that blood of atonement on the Day of Atonement. The problem of sin and the need of atonement was an ever-present reminder of the gap in communion between God and his people. For the ark to be covered unseen means that in our sin, we are separated, fenced off, and barred by flaming swords from God's presence. Hence, For the ark to be seen here in the seventh trumpet means that these barriers have been broken down, are no more. The opening of the temple here is the consummatory correlative of the torn veil at the death of Christ. 
It means that God's presence is available to man. Full, perfect, and intimate communion between God and man is now a reality. For the ark is seen. It means that the blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat of the ark that takes away sin once for all. It means a perfect atonement has been made in the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, as Hebrews 9 says, Christ entered once for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and, or goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Thus the ark that is seen has sprinkled upon it the blood of Christ, your Savior, the Lamb of God. Christ makes, all, makes us all priests of God with access to God's presence. It is the meritorious basis for it. Thus you can see that this image of the ark being seen is a perfect image of an atonement purchase communion with God in all its fullness. For the ark to be seen declares that the blood of Christ caused the cherubim to sheathe their swords, the sword of God's law that condemns us as sinners. The vision of the ark announces that heaven has been opened to the people of the Lamb. That you who are in Christ have full access to God, entitlement to heaven. What Adam failed to do because of his disobedience, the meritorious blood of Christ, the last Adam, attained for us as our representative. The ark being seen means that at the last trumpet then, our faith will become sight. Yes, what we believe now to be true, we will know by sight then fully at the seventh trumpet. When the Jericho walls of this world kingdom fall once and for all, Christ will appear and we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is, with heaven open and his full atonement before our eyes. Then we will have perfect and intimate communion and fellowship with God. Then in holiness we will glorify and enjoy him forever. This is what we pray for in thy kingdom come. This is our hope and what a help it is, a grace it is to us during our earthly pilgrimage. For it gives us strength to cling in faith and obedience to Christ and his word, knowing that he who began a good work in us will surely bring it to completion. Indeed, our present hardships and worries don't even compare to the glorious inheritance to come. Even death is no longer the scariest thing now that we're in Christ. The things that the world desires that we worry about are nothing compared 
to what God has in store for us. Houses, cars, money, fame, all of these are small drops of water on the tongue compared to the heavenly delicacies kept for us at the Supper of the Lamb. With the seventh trumpet as our vista, it makes keeping our minds set on the things above not just easier, but a veritable joy, a gift itself, that we are pilgrims and put before us is a glorious picture of what Christ has earned for us and where he is leading us to. Yes, this is what you are kept for by the power of God, so that one day you will see the ark and bodily stand in the presence of your Savior to enjoy him forever. This is something to be thankful for, to worship God for. Thus let us uh, close by standing and singing and turning to him 321. 321, let us stand and sing. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.